Can Netflix become HBO before HBO becomes Netflix? And can radio survive without passion? This is episode 88 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Mr. Tom, can Netflix become HBO before HBO becomes Netflix? This is a really interesting piece from Barron's that I guess was inspired by something that uh, that uh, Ted Sarandos from uh, Netflix, their chief content officer, said half a decade ago, which is also known as five years, which in <laughs> Netflix time is like an eternity. This is around the time that they were talking up the fact that they were doing all this weird streaming stuff, and everyone was saying, "Well, I'm wait, I'm getting my, I'm getting my DVDs through the mail. You know, why mess up a good thing?" Right. Um, and he said, "Our goal is to become HBO faster than HBO can become us." And the reason why that's so ironic is that in light of AT and T's acquisition of uh, what is now called Warner Media, uh, their intention is to build another over-the-top streaming service around HBO. So uh, literally, <laughs> yep. literally now, HBO is on, on path to become, or at least in terms of its intention, to become Netflix. And what's funny about that is, you know, HBO has always been kind of this, arbit this curator of tremendous quality, right? If you think about the number of new shows on HBO, there actually aren't that many. Whereas Netflix has a new show every day, it seems, yeah, yeah. and Netflix doesn't have quite the same, um, the same, same luster as being a curator of quality. But what's your take on this whole, this whole evolution? I tell you, it's difficult to even keep up with. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And by plays out, I mean, who are going to be the dominant, I don't know, half dozen or so pay television services it mm. used to be this all used to be fairly straightforward right i mean content companies made tv shows and movies mm -hmm. they sold them to pay tv distributors who sold them to consumers mm -hmm. now it's like everything is up for grabs i'll give you an example so i recently received a call from my pay tv distributor which is my cable provider mm -hmm. right mm-hmm and they're trying to save me money and increase my content choices by having me play around with the various channel options. All right, okay. this is the game they're all playing. Mm -hmm. They eventually did it. You know how they did it? How they saved me some money and increased my options? How? By having me get rid of HBO. What do you mean? How did, how? I, well, they said, look, if you get rid of HBO, we can reduce your cost and you get Sundance and this and that and this channel and that. I said, really? So what are they up to? What is Comcast up to that they're trying to get me to get rid of HBO? Hmm. See, this is what I'm telling you. The, 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 who knows what in the world is going on with, these, with all these guys, with all this different content stuff? Because now, I mean, what, what's Comcast? Comcast has, who do they have? They have oh, NBC, NBC Universal, Universal Studios, DreamWorks, right? You've got Disney, who has Hulu, ESPN, Marvel, ABC, Fox Studios. Well, Disney has a stake in Hulu, I believe. Well, but but they bought 
they bought Fox, which had a stake. So now I think they own majority of Hulu. They may. They may. Right? And then you got AT&T, who owns Warner Brothers, CNN, TNT, TBS. Who, what's going on? <laughs> I, I can't figure out how this is all going to play out unless... And you left it, out CBS with, uh, with their over-the-top thing, which is Viacom, right? Right. Don't they have Showtime? And Viacom and has Paramount and it's literally hard to make sense of it all. It's hard to it's like someone's going to listen to this and say you missed one little, you know, tiny point that so and so has only 40 percent of such and such. It's 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 right. And to the average consumer who knows infinitely less than we do on any of this stuff, they're just saying, look, I want a show. Give me my show. Where's Ray Donovan? I want to get Ray Donovan. Show me how to get Ray Donovan. That's right. That's what's that's what's really interesting about all this. So are, are the are the providers going to? Pro, pro, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm wondering when do they step in and say, I, "I create a disincentive to allow the other content producers to try to take your eyeballs away." Well, I think what you're describing with that HBO move is the beginning of kind of 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 people establishing their lanes mutually exclusive from other people's lanes where there's a minimum of overlap for certain elements and people need to decide do i want the package that includes hbo it's quite frankly it's the same decision people have made ever since cable existed right do i want the package that includes hbo or not right right that's actually no different from what people have been asking since the beginning of hbo do I want the package that includes HBO or not? The difference now is, do I want the package that includes, you know, the uh, CBS over the top that has uh, Star Trek? Do I want the package that includes uh, Disney's over the top that includes Star Wars? Do I want the package that includes uh, Warner Media's over the top, which includes uh, HBO and maybe uh, uh, DC Universe? The, it's it's kind of we're moving from a world of packages where the 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 channels are all commodities and your only choice is do I want to get it through Comcast or AT&T to a world where the packages are actually content bundles and now you have to decide do I want bundle A, B, C, or D and what really do I value? I wish somebody would come to me and say, hey, we'll take <laughs> ESPN off your cable box and take all those sports channels that you never watch off your cable box and reduce your rates significantly. I sense no one's going to do that. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about, right? Because, because Comcast can say, do you want this with HBO, without HBO? But they can't say, would you like to have Amazon Prime added to your offering? They can't that's say right. that. What they can say is, do you, do you want internet? That's right. But, but Amazon Prime can say, do you want HBO in with your Amazon Prime offering? I know. You that's that's yes. what I'm telling you. It's confusing as hell to me. Yeah, it really is confusing. There's a channel called Shudder, which is an over-the-top uh, horror channel that I get. I get it on Amazon Prime, and I also get it on Shudder. So in <laughs> other words, I can access it either way, but i got to pay different fees for both. It's complicated. Don't ask me why. But it's just, it, it's, it's like, well, do you want to get it on the over-the-top Shudder channel, which you can get on your mobile device, or do you want to get on the Amazon channel? The offerings are not quite the same, but they're close. But yes, it's getting more and more and more confusing, and you need a scorecard to keep up with all this stuff. But here's what I know. 
at the bottom of all that, at the bottom of that equation, I know is, what the, you're gonna say. is the quality of the content. Yeah, right? it comes to creative output. I mean, that's the only way to sustain attention, right? That's Isn't right. it? I mean, that's so, why Netflix went to the bond market and got another $2 billion to although add. Netflix, let's talk about that for a sec because it seems to me that Netflix is gonna be increasingly challenged because you've noticed, I've noticed, I'm sure everybody has noticed, that if you go looking for something that used to be on Netflix, it's not there anymore, mm -hmm. unless it's a so-called Netflix original, um, that even now today, the majority of Netflix viewership is derived not from so-called Netflix originals, but from programs which began their run on largely network television. Um, that's where the viewership ha comes from, and yet that's the exact content that's gonna go away. I mean, the, 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 the Time Warner content, you know, if you want Friends, which I think is a Warner show, right. um, if that's available now on Netflix, it's not going to be there eventually. Right. It's going to be on the, the Warner Media over-the-top uh, network, uh, part of the HBO equation. So it's really interesting the way this stuff is going to break, and I think what's happening with Netflix is they're looking around saying, the pool of content available to me historically is shrinking. Um, what the heck are we going to do when all those Disney movies are gone, when the Star Wars movies are gone, when the Warner content is gone? What are we going to do? Because I'll tell you something, the idea that they're going to fill that funnel purely with a bunch of international offerings produced in foreign countries and dubbed for America, I don't think so, Tom. <laughs> no, no, you're right. But I, I, I think they believe, based on, you know, probably a limited track record, that they can go to Hollywood and be a, be a big player, a big content producer. I mean, they recently bought like most of the billboards around Sunset Plaza so that they could showcase the, all their original shows. Yeah, I love the fact that when you, anybody who's, who lives in L.A. or drives to L.A. knows that if you go to L.A., the world of outdoor advertising is a completely different world from any other world of outdoor advertising <laughs> except for maybe Times Square because it appears that the entertainment industry is the most important thing in the world when you look at outdoor in L.A. But if you go to Tulsa, good luck finding a billboard right. <laughs> you know, for an HBO show. You won't find it. So it's a very weird kind of thing that matters only within that closed loop in Los Angeles. Huh? But that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to demonstrate to Hollywood, to L.A., to the directors, to the actors, whoever, their growing industry clout. And here's the other thing you haven't mentioned. You haven't mentioned our friends at Apple, who just announced recently the Apple over-the-top uh, entertainment streaming uh, platform that's soon to debut. And what they have that nobody else but Amazon has, perhaps, is this built-in, you know, th th this rich built-in universe of people coming to a platform for a certain thing that can be easily hijacked and bonused to consume this other thing. I think it's going to change dramatically uh, the way people look at these various platforms. And I, I think it's going to make certain things like, for example, the CBS over the top platform, which feels thin to me, even with the presence of Star Trek. It's going to make stuff like that look really thin. You know, it's going to be these skinny, these so-called skinny bundles are going to look razor thin once uh, you get you know, Amazon uh, 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 you know, grows to uh, its potential and things like Apple do likewise, don't you think? The Apple thing has got me a little bit confused. I mean, 
how deeply are they going to go into original content production? I heard they've been running into all kinds of different problems because it, the, the different shows that they've been looking at in movies, they don't fit the Apple brand, right? A little of them a, a little bit too racy or whatever it is. So I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think they're going to... I gonna... think they're going to get over that. I think they're going to have to get over that because that look at the way Disney gets over that. You know, I mean, uh, it's... it's it, 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 Disney has plenty of content in its orbit, which isn't strictly speaking family. Subbrand, um, but the, so they create a subbrand. Subbrand, but the, the Apple brand. What does the Apple brand mean? I, I mean, don't the, know. I, it means I, whatever I, Tim I, Cook. That's wants the thing it I don't mean. understand. <laughs> the Apple brand. It doesn't mean family to me. I mean, there's all kinds of content I presume consumed on Apple devices, which doesn't fit that category. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a. a uh, a, st a style. I mean, if you look at the TV spots for the new iPhones, you really have to ask, am I supposed to buy this or have it. sex with it? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is what is the objective here? Is this a piece of technology <laughs> or am I watching plenty of fish? I mean, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> All right, Tom. So uh, you are listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Maysecker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, the question is, can radio survive without passion? Let's back up a step. This is from an article in Radio Inc. written by a guy named Russ Krupnik, managing partner at a company called Music Watch. And he did a survey and um, a survey which uh, concluded that among music listeners, radio stations are generally passionless. Um, a few questions, a few things right up front. First of all, anytime you see surveys referenced uh, thinly, uh, without a lot of details, you have to ask questions. I know this from experience. You have to ask <laughs> questions like, what is this survey, and how was this survey conducted, and who are these respondents, and how were they gathered, and just how representative is this, and what questions were asked, and how were the questions, all kinds of questions that are not answered here. Okay, so let's start. But if you say a survey with 2,500 music listeners, people say, oh, okay, well, that's obviously representative. It's a lot of people, not necessarily. <laughs> so let's leave that aside. So these are people 13 and older who listen to radio, satellite radio, and streaming services, 2,500 music listeners. Now, the first thing you have to say is when he concludes that there's no passion in, in radio, he's talking about music listeners evaluating music radio. And the premise there is that they're going to evaluate music radio the same way they evaluate Pandora, Apple Music, Spotify, and other things. You know, I would, I would argue that there are reasons why they come to that radio that have not to do with music. Um, that said, music's a big part. Um, he makes the following point. He says, entertainment is more about, more than ever about passion. Okay, he's clearly right about that. You would agree, right? Oh yeah, no, I'm on the passion bandwagon, trust me. <laughs> We're all about passion, we get that. Um, and that's why the central question, can radio survive without passion? Because when you go through the questions that go into the so-called net promoter score, which is a popular measure that, you know, presumably indicates you're likely to be recommended to others. And, you know, it's not without some controversy, you would acknowledge, right? right? Uh, it's hardly a perfect measure. But the net promoter score for Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, they're all well above the net promoter score for radio. The numbers, uh, the net numbers, which is, you know, the measures are, are you a promoter, are you passive, are you a detractor? And I think it's promoter minus detractor comes up with the score. And the net promoter score for Spotify is 73, which is high. 100 is the maximum. 
57 for Apple Music, 45 for Pandora, 1818 for AM FM radio. <laughs> now, which is, you know, extraordinarily low and the and the detractors are just just huge. But again, these are people who listen for music. And if you listen for music and you can go to Spotify, well clearly, you know, I mean, it's understandable why that would be preferred over radio. Well, so, this is like so this is where I this is where I have an issue with how the whole article unfolded. He starts out with entertainment is more than ever about passion. Yes. I say, okay, that's true. Then he writes, baby boomers, which I'm a baby boomer, had mm -hmm. a deep abiding passion for radio. That's right. And then he substantiates that passion for radio. And by radio, <laughs> he, he must mean entertainment because he, you know, he mixed those two words together. Right. By saying that he remembers exactly where he was the first time he heard WLIR play Roxanne, all right, from mm -hmm. the police. Mm -hmm. Look, as a baby boomer, I'm telling you, yes, we had a deep passion for the music of our times. I mean, we were born with rock and roll, the Beatles, the British Invasion. Mm -hmm. And radio is what brought us and connected us to that passion. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, radio literally educated us. It gave us that value component known as social currency. Mm -hmm. That's the place. There wasn't another place. Well, that's was, the key point, right? Right. That, that, that there was no other place. There's another thing you mentioned, too that um, you kind of glossed over and I thought was going to be your main point. But his point about passion for radio, the very next sentence is, I remember Scott Muni playing full album sides on WNEW. Scott Muni is not music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scott Muni is a personality. So <clears throat> his memory point here is a personality, not the music that, yes, the personality played the music, but... His memory point is that this individual was central to the experience. <laughs> no, Mark, look, it's like saying, God, I remember I loved mac and cheese when I was a kid. Yeah? Well, who gave it to you? Who gave it to you? My mother. Mm -hmm. So that would you say, oh, I remember my mother made mac and cheese. Of course, because that's who delivered it to you, this thing mm -hmm. that you loved. So that's right. the connection. Is the, is the delivery of the value that you're looking for. And in mm -hmm. that case, like I said, it was what introduced us to music, what gave us social currency, what taught us you know, all the things we needed to know when we were having conversations with people about mm -hmm. music and discovery. It was the thing that gave us the discovery. Right. And, and so look, and as far as net promoter score, you, listen, so you know what net promoter score is, right? It's sure. I recommend something. Yes. Why do people recommend things to other people? Because they recently discovered something new that turned them on or improved their life and that they think, again, they can gain some social currency. So I would say mm -hmm. to you, Mark, I found this great restaurant in L.A. and I recommend that to you. What am I going to recommend radio for? Like nobody knows what a radio is? <laughs> well, you might recommend a show on the radio. This is the thing. You're not going to recommend a song, right? If you do, that song is devoid of its context. As you said earlier, it was the only place to get it 40 years ago right. other than a record store. And yes, that's what they were called at that time. And a record store is a lot harder to get to than waiting for that song to come back up in rotation <laughs> exactly. would within exactly. two hours. So. I, I think, it, it, nevertheless, I think his point has merit in this regard. 
it's that the very things that make radio different from the Spotify's, the Pandora's, the Apple Music's, the fact that there are voices on the air, entertainment on the air, there are things on the air. It's not just about being local because local is just a place unless you create value out of that place. Right. It's about what happens to, that's worth talking about, that's worth sharing. That's. I mean, you don't get social, social security, social <laughs> currency, currency from the weather forecast, from the news update, right? right? You get social currency because there's something that happens on that station you need to tell someone about this my friends this is what's driving podcasts yep. this is why people are talking about podcasts this is why those five star ratings are being granted to the podcasts that deserve them that's the reason and that is generally lacking today because unless you're into non-music radio sports radio talk radio I, the voices between the records are largely commoditized. They're largely marginalized. There aren't any personalities anymore uh, to a large degree outside of the stray morning show. And even those are very often virtually commoditized, recruited out of the, you know, out of the ranks of volunteers. Um, so I, I think that to a degree, the answer to the question, can radio survive without passion, is yes, as an environmental utility. <laughs> I mean, to the degree, that's like saying, you know, well, do I like the music in when I go walk into CVS? Do I like the, the radio they have on there in CVS, you know, CVS radio? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's okay, right? It's good enough. Yeah, but it, you know what, Mark? We need, you and I need to define for anyone listening to this show from the radio industry what passion actually means. It means scarcity. It doesn't mean you're passionate point. about your radio station. That's it a good means point. you have something I can't get anywhere else. That's, That's right. what passion means. That's right. So, and that invariably is going to come down to something which is yours and yours only, uh, as long as I value it, which is not the latest song from Lady Gaga. Right? right. Exactly. It's going to be the person between the songs. It's going to be something that happens on that radio that's unique and compelling and stands out and is probably entertainment oriented. And it's not going to be just the fact that you're around the corner from me and I can visit your office and get free tickets from your front desk if I happen to win a contest. That's not enough because there's 30 radio stations that can do that in your market, maybe more. Yep. So it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I think it's flawed in a lot of ways. Can it survive without passion? And it also is resting too heavily on this notion of music, music, music. Um, and, and fundamentally, the answer is, as I say, yes, I think it can survive without passion. It can survive as a utility, a utility where I don't tell anybody about it, Tom. <laughs> I don't recommend it to a soul. And it's on in the car. It's like it's, it's, it's the paint on the walls. I notice it when I walk into the car and turn the car on. Otherwise, I do not. That is how it can survive. Now, anybody who wants to be in that kind of medium, good luck to you. Because yeah. this is why people are talking about Spotify. This is why they're talking about podcasting. And this is why audio is an exciting place right now. Because audio is growing on the fringes. It's not growing um, uh, from the perspective of radio, right? Exactly. All right, Tommy, it is time for rants and raves. I feel like we've been doing a lot of that already. Well, I know. It came quick, too. All right, well, I'll keep going. So I'll, let, me, let me give a cautionary rant. Oh, let's hear it. And this is for content creators, the radio industry. For anyone hoping to sustain people's fickle attention, 
turn that attention into a profitable exchange of value, and bottom line, to stay alive. Because today's evolving and highly competitive marketplace demands this. I'll, let's, so I'll get to the rant by doing a quick quiz. Mark, who am I? I'm the largest retailer in the world. I'm as big as my three closest competitors combined. 80% of America shot my stores last year. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Well, the, the stores suggest that it's Walmart. Yeah. Every time I ask that question, everybody says Walmart. And the answer is, I'm the mighty Sears Roebuck in 1973. <laughs> Sears Roebuck was on the cover of every business magazine back in 1973. <laughs> And now last week, that once dominant idea in corporate culture dragged itself tail between its legs into mm-hmm. bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It, so this inability to evolve, to change its story, think about it. It erased $30 billion in shareholder wealth from a peak in 2007. Wow. And more than 200,000 people lost their jobs. Wow. Now, Here's what I think happened. And and I want to start by saying I have no problem with understanding the business numbers, you know, the ROI, profitability, all that. No problem. And I don't have any problem with knowing how to do a deal. All right. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to talk about how good they are doing deals. Mm -hmm. But this guy, Eddie Lampert, Sears, you know, billionaire majority owner. Mm -hmm. So this is a guy who is he's a hedge fund manager who once persuaded four guys who kidnapped him to let him go. So, yeah, he's good at wheeling and dealing. He's got skills, yeah. He's got skills. He could not use his massive wealth, his influence, or his skills at wheeling and dealing to negotiate today's chaotic marketplace. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do it. You know why? No one can. This isn't (laughs) your father's marketplace, all right? Today's dynamic bazaar is actually quite bizarre. It's moving the marketplace is what's moving today's like economic dance. It's like the ocean waves that move the surfers. If you mm-hmm. think that you can fool yourself with the arrogance of your past accomplishments and go out there and make the marketplace bend to your you know, cleverness, you're out of your mind. So mm-hmm. either get humble and start taking dancing lessons or call your attorneys and have them start preparing the bankruptcy filing. Because the dance is, is going to get crazier thanks to automation and AI. So I, I don't know, dance or die. I don't know what you want to call That's, that little segment. What's, what's so interesting about that is, you know, and your, your lesson is a profound one for anyone in, in any established business, right? I mean, the, in terms of the you were just we were just talking about radio. Radio is certainly in that category, right? Oh, yeah. Dance or die. I mean, let's consider what that means. And invariably, to me, what it means is people need to develop more of people. These institutions reflected by people need to develop more of a tolerance for risk, right? Oh, yeah. Experimentation, and, creativity. And experimentation. Because here's my observation. You know, as again, the, we can talk about the podcast stuff. As you know, I'm heavily involved with a bunch of different projects in the podcast space. And when you talk to radio people about podcast projects, you get one kind of response. When you talk to podcast people about podcast projects, you get a different response. <laughs> and it's it's interesting to me that I think when we first started Inside Psycho, the first one in the series, 
I can't imagine a single radio company getting behind that and saying, yes, this is a good idea. We will fund this. Let's do this. <laughs> um, and I still think it's true today that to take a similar project equally as risky, I guess you could say, and present it to any one of these broadcasters uh, with, the, with the possible exception of, you know, those that are heavily invested now in the podcast space, um, I think still it would be a, it would be a tough go. Um, and yet, Without and I and I hear it now because, you know, when we talk with people about some of the shows that are out there, the questions are, well, you know, how do we monetize that? What is its what is its monetization potential? And it's like that's so putting the cart before the horse. Not that we need to be blind to all that, but that's why to me the podcast space is so much more like independent film than it is like radio. You know, you're creating these 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 projects. You're hoping they touch as many people as they can, and then you're putting it out there into the marketplace and, and hoping for the best. And that's, I, I, yeah, that's not just podcasting, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's the nature of the marketplace today. Mm -hmm. If you think you can sit down today, come up with some ideas, create some five to 10 year plan that shows how that grows and monetizes, you are out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. It, stuff is moving too fast to be able to do that. So that means that the advantage is going to be for people who have a tolerance for risk, who can spot ideas which turn out to be promising, mm -hmm. not spot promising ideas. Oh no, that's a different thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but spot ideas which in retrospect are promising, right. which is a hard skill. Um, but that's what needs to be nurtured. That's what needs to be nurtured across all these platforms, right? Whether you're in publishing, whether you're in television, whether you're in film, whether you're in radio, no matter where, right? Yeah, listen, you could own a restaurant. If you're not changing up the menu, you're in trouble mm. because people are opening up around you all the time to try to take away those people with something more novel and more valuable. That's, that's the right. nature of what's going on today. That's it's why who's I say willing that to do it. These broadcasters who say that, uh, you know, well, what we need we need to relax more ownership rules so that Company X can own more radio stations and market Y in order to compete against Facebook and Google, et cetera. And I keep thinking, well, how will owning, how will doubling down on more sticks, more towers, solve the problems that you're facing with regard to people who are selling things which are not you and getting customers which are not yours? Right. Um, it, it doesn't altogether make sense. Anyway, uh, that isn't even my rant. <laughs> oh, you got an, another one? <laughs> I, I didn't know that was one until we got to the end of it. <laughs> and here we are, 30 minutes. Oh, dear. Oh, okay. So let me try and go through these pretty quick. But first a rant and then a couple of quick raves. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is, I saw this. I don't know where this is from, actually, but I'm glad I don't because, because it's from Mashable of all places. Because uh -oh. Mashable invests a lot of time and a lot of junk. Here's the, the headline. Want to be the next podcasting sensation? This online class can get you started. Oh, here we go Who again. Who doesn't want that, Tom? So I'm going to read some of this to you because it's hilarious. There's never been a better time to get into podcasting. It's cheap. It's relatively easy. <laughs> and the market for the content is huge. Oh, but that's not, that's not all, Tom. Odds are you have at least one friend with a show. So why not add your voice to the mix? Oh, man. So it's a podcasting 101 bundle to help you launch your show right away, even if you've never even recorded so much as a voicemail message. So you get 
listen to all this that you get. This is 10 courses, 35 <laughs> hours of training, the basics of audio and video recording, strategies for recording your own voice, and even instruction on how to breathe correctly. You'll get tips on voice acting in case you're going to do a voice acting. Maybe I should listen to that. Um, but here's the best part. This is where the value is. You're always talking value, Tom. That's your problem. You're always talking about value. <laughs> the Podcasting 101 bundle normally retails for, guess what? Guess how much? Uh, 15000 <laughs> You're not supposed to go higher. $1,990. But, Tom, for a limited time only, you can get lifetime access to get for guess how much? Uh, $49. Wrong. $29. <laughs> $1,990 worth of, worth of value for $29. Tom, call this number right away. 1-800-PODCASTING-101. Uh, anyway, I just found that to be extraordinary that the, the pitch would be that brazen. The value proposition would be that obviously bogus, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's my rant. <laughs> Any comment on that before I move on? That's sad. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, two things, and I guess I got a log. Plus, what's the URL? I'm, I might take a look at no, it. No, I'm, I'm not. Kidding. Even I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, uh, first, I got to do a little log rolling. I was really pleased to see that our little uh, podcast, Jeff Schmitz and my uh, uh, podcast with Wandry, um, Inside Jaws, was nominated by iHeartRadio as uh, one of the. I guess in the it's nominated for an, a, a, a podcast award, a best podcast award, whatever they call it. Heart Podcast Award um, in the category of entertainment with five other shows that are not ours. So I was really excited to see that because, you know, they could literally pull from anything and here they had pulled our little show uh, that we did with Wondery and we're really, really proud of that. So um, for anyone who's inclined, this is one of those things where the nomination you can't influence, you can only influence who wins and the way to influence who wins is to literally vote through social media every single day. Um, not my preferred way of winning anything. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily a hallmark of quality, but nevertheless, for anybody so inclined, go to iHeartPodcast.com and place your vote for Inside Jaws. And Tom, I know you already did. I've already done it. Yeah, I, I appreciate do it. That. But you have to do it every day. I need to remind you this. Every day for like the next two months. I have it in my phone. It reminds me every day. Yeah, it's great. It's, isn't that a wonderful <laughs> burden? A um, couple of quick raves. Um, one is there's this, I, I just got this note today. Maybe you got this, you know, the masterclass folks. Do you, are you oh, on yeah, the list for masterclass? Yeah. Did you see this thing today? David Axelrod and Carl Rove are doing a masterclass together on political strategy. You have got to be kidding me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just thought that whole concept is just fabulous to have those two guys doing it together on opposite sides of the, you know, the, the, the political spectrum is just, um, is just cool. It's just, it's the kind of thing you tell others about, which means it evokes passion, which means it gets a high net promoter score from me. Which means it's scarce. It's scarce. <laughs> Isn't it scarce though? Yes. <laughs> Here's the other thing I want to just, the last one I have to mention. You know, there's a lot of stuff on uh, Netflix to watch. We talked about that already. There's something that my wife and I happened on a while ago and just in time for Halloween uh, called The Haunting of Hill House based on the, you know, loosely, I might add, based on the novel by Shirley Jackson, who is an alma mater of my high school, by the way. Oh, wow. I directed one of her, uh, or one acts uh, when I was in uh, high school, uh, well after she graduated and died, I might add, uh, just so that's clear. But The Haunting of Hill House is absolutely one of the best 
horror things I've ever seen on television, if not the best horror thing I've ever seen on television. It's wow. that good. It's just really, really well done. It's really dense. It's really thoughtful. Uh, it's really scary. And there are no, I repeat, no jump scares. There are no fake scares in this series. And, I, you know, if there's anything I hate, it's when you open the refrigerator door, you close it, the cat jumps out, there's a big, loud song, <laughs> you know, big, loud music crescendo, and you're supposed to be terrified. I hate that. I hate anything that involves the refrigerator door in horror movies. That's, so there's no refrigerator door anywhere in The Haunting of Hill House, so I strongly recommend it. All right. So, all right, well, that's Media Unplugged for this week. Sorry we ran a little long. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever new platform is creating podcasts today, wherever you're <laughs> listening right now. You can follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Asacker, and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. Feel free to email us. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Uh, our emails, mramsey at markramseymedia.com and tomasacker at gmail.com. Catch up on older episodes at our website, mediaunplugged.net, because old doesn't mean stale, Tom. That's right. Old can also be fresh. It can be old uh, and scarce. It can be old and scarce. Again, the refrigerator door analogy. <laughs> Anything that's in the refrigerator old is not good, but that's not true of us. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio from media. Jeff is amazing. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For the one and only Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening.